0: You are listening to Epic Church San Francisco's podcast. What a special day and, and so ex- excited to hear Austin's story. I don't know if you heard, but said he practice Islam in high school and a friend made the ask, invited him to come to Epic. Just the power of the invite, in case you guys ever underestimate, well, what's going to happen? Well, Austin found Christ here. Christ has changed his life, and now Austin's serving. He's a part of a small group here, and all because a friend who's in the room with us this morning said, "Hey, why don't you come to my church?" Uh, pastor's not that funny, but would you just come, and uh, and let's let's see what let's see what happens. So, for for Austin, even to hear his story, you could tell that this is an incredibly defining moment for him. It's very significant. And in all of our lives, we have defining moments, right? For Austin, even the whole idea, the moment of baptism, symbolically represents that, just like all defining moments, there was a life, there's a way life worked before, the defining moment happens, and then sort of the life after that is different. And we have these defining moments all the time, right? For myself, I was very interested in who is now my wife, Shauna, at one time when we were in college, very interested in her, I would even say supremely interested, and she was vaguely interested. And I was waiting for her to see the light kind of come around to uh, the bright side, and one day I, I got an email uh, back in the AOL days if you 're too young to understand that, just go see you 've got Mel um, and, and I, the email you know finally booted up, it finally got sent, it finally came through, and she just said this to me as i 'd already expressed my interest. She said, uh, "Ben, I finally know what I want. the ball's in your court now." so I was like, "Come on, girl let 's go um, <laughs> And it was a defining moment. So there was a way life worked up until that day. And even uh, approaching that day, it's like, I wish she would just, uh, come on, uh, re- reciprocate this. And then all of a sudden, she sends me the email. Uh, not sure why she didn't call, but anyway. Uh, sends me the email, and from that moment seriously, moving forward, she's been a part of every single day of my life since. And hopefully that'll be true for the, rest, for the rest of my life. But we have those defining moments. I, I've shared with you before that nearly 10 years ago now, my mom died of breast cancer at the age of 46. And so that was a defining moment, meaning that there was a way things worked before that. Th- there was a way that the holidays went. There was a, a, an expectation of my future when I did have kids. I could see my mom coming and taking them for days at a time or weeks at a time. Um, and, and then the moment happens, and then all of a sudden Christmases are different. And what I was going to look forward to, I, I I no longer have to look forward to. That's the defining moment, and um, I know for me, for Shauna and I, when we did get married, we, we dated long distance, and so we never even lived in the same time zone till we were married. And uh, we didn't we didn't we didn't wait long before we got engaged, and, and didn't wait too long to get married because of so many reasons, especially that uh, living so far apart. And uh, and life was a certain way once we got married, and then all of a sudden, the the oldest, who's eight and a half now, he he is born and then as you know parents mostly for the good right but life is never the same once that that happens right things are things are different and that's a defining moment for us uh, I can explain to you the defining moment of God really implanting the vision for Epic Church on my heart. There was a, I, I had great ministry experiences before. I felt like God had given me great purpose to live for, really had done things that, uh, that were, I believe, vision from God for my life. But then this thing takes a hold of my heart, and I would say that life has been different ever since that moment when God, and so many of you, whether you like it or not, are a part of, a part of that now. Um, and so we have these moments. We have these things where like life works a certain way, Moment happens, and then everything's different. Everything is changed, which you might see as the title for our series that we're kicking off even this morning. And here's, here's what my hope is in, in light of these kind of defining moments. Um, I hope that what we discuss starting this morning over the next six weeks, six Sundays together, check the podcast if you can't be here with us. I hope that what, we, what happens to us, the realities that sort of get uh, lit into our hearts and our minds, my hope is that we would look back on some of the things we're going to discover over the next six weeks and we'd go, man, that was a defining moment for me. Understanding maybe more about who God is, maybe more understanding of myself, understanding more about what Jesus has done. And so that's what my hope is, that you and I might together make some discoveries about ourselves, about our good God and about what it could mean for our lives if we were to really embrace and engage in what we're going to experience throughout the series. So that's my hope. Um, the entire series changed. is going to be out of the 8th chapter of Romans. So Romans chapter 8. If you guys have a Bible, you can turn there. If you need one, raise your hand. I've got friends that are walking down the aisles right now ready to, ready to put one of those into your hand. Uh, this is a Bible that you can keep. We'll also have it on the screen. Uh, if you've got a smartphone, iPad, whatever, you can download uh, we use the ESV version of the Bible here. That's the translation that we that we go with. Romans chapter eight. It's a very uh, Romans is uh, probably the most tightly organized of all the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, Romans is an extensive kind of theological treatise on on who God is and, and what sin is and what's required and 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 how does this work and who are we? Uh, lots of different things like that. And then you get to chapter 8, a very popular chapter in Romans. Paul wrote the entire letter to the church at Rome in about AD 57 or so. So you're looking at 25 to 30 years since Christ has died, uh, since he's been raised from the dead, and since that's beginning to be proclaimed. If you don't know any of Paul's stories, uh, Paul's background is that he literally was a person who thought he had it all right Christ kind of um, interrupts his life, to say it mildly, and then he begins to give his life towards sharing the realities that he's encountered there in the first century. And just so if you're here this morning and you go, man, Paul, he's like just this super Christian guy. He wasn't, all right? He hated the church. He had people who were Christians in prison. He was a part of a group that would even murder Christians at times. God changes his life, so there's hope for us, right? Which is good. Uh, even if you haven't killed someone, there's hope for you. Um, if you have, let me know where you're sitting so I can get the security guy in the room on you. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and and Paul begins to write this. So as we get to chapter 8, what you're going to see in the first verse, and we'll be in verses 1 through 4 this morning. And, and what you're going to see is this: just this word, therefore, show up. So... Um, That's showing up. I'm going to share with you the reason that's there is because Paul said a lot in the first seven chapters. And so I want you to know what we're launching into or what we're launching from. So what Paul has said in the first seven chapters are things like, hey, um, while you were still a sinner, Jesus died for you. Things like, hey, God requires righteousness. Things like, um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. On and on and on, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And then right at the end of chapter 7, Paul is wrestling. Remember, he's like this super Christian, but he's saying things like this. In the middle of chapter 7 towards the end, he's saying things like, Hey, I find my desires that I want to do the right thing, but I'm finding it impossible to carry out. Does that resonate with anybody else? Like, I don't know. We're awesome with good intentions, aren't we? Like, I've got the best intentions ever, right? The follow-through, eh, right? And Paul's just going, "How how can I overcome this? He's like... He essentially says at the end of chapter 7, who will save me from this? Who will rescue me? Who will deliver me from this? And it's like he reminds himself, oh, yeah, I don't have to do this for myself. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ because he has rescued me from this. And so he kind of has this profound moment. And then he's going to say that word, therefore, in 8.1 that we're about to read. And so the therefore is because he's saying, oh, yeah, because all of this is true, he's going to just kind of drop a bomb right right in verse 1. Would you guys stand? We're just going to look at four verses today, 8, 1 through 4. But if you want to track with us, again, the podcast, uh, spend some time reading yourself. It's got uh, 39 verses, I believe, in Romans 8. So we're going to really be looking at all those over the next uh, five weeks after today. And so I'd love for you just to be tracking with us throughout throughout the series. So here he drops the bomb in verse 1. Here's what he says. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. so glad you're here this morning. I am praying that there will be some discoveries we make, realizing that we're all um, at different stages in sort of our spirituality and faith. Almost, even if we say we have it, we don't. Or, you know, we're all along some uh, piece of the continuum when it comes to no faith, to lots of faith, right? And, and I, I hope that you'll see some things. Right off the bat, Paul's going to say, big, like, this is the big deal. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's the, the definition of condemnation that we're... Need to have in mind as we read this, like if we're not going to get any of it, we need to know what it is we're not getting, right? Like we, if, if, if there's none coming our way, and again, it's only for those who are in Christ, we'll talk about that in a moment. The condemnation, it is punishment that follows a judicial sentence that make sense? So the condemnation, you, you can imagine a person has committed a crime, they go on trial, uh, they are sentenced by the judge, and then they are condemned to 10 years, or they're condemned to such and such state prison, or whatever it is. So the condemnation is the punishment that follows the sentence. And so what Paul has in mind is that, okay, if we are sinners, and we are, just, again, ask your friends if you're not, if you're not thinking you are, um, just ask your best friends or your spouse if you're married. That, Yeah, you won't pass that test. Um, and he's saying, so he's saying we, even though we have sin, he's saying for those of us in Christ, there is now no condemnation. So the first question we need to ask, I think, any of you, especially uh, those of you that are inquisitive, maybe many of us in the room, any of you have to know why to everything? Like you can't just take it, like you need to know why. Um, all right, so two of you or yeah, a couple of honest people are great. Um, I, I'm one of those people who are like, why? So Shauna and I, um, we went home last Sunday from church and there were thousands of bees in our apple tree. Thousands, like can't go outside. Protect your kids. Protect your. wife. I mean, it was one of those kind of things. Thousands and thousands of bumblebees, and so for the first time in our lives, we had to call a, a beekeeper. Uh, we we had to absolutely call a, a beekeeper, and and the beekeeper came out and literally uh, gave us a lot of the why, like how bees work. It's fascinating. Things like the queen bee will send the scout bees out. Um, And they think they're actually setting up the new home for the entire clan. They think they've been promoted, but what the queen bee knows that they don't know is that queen uh, bees only have uh, three days worth of memory. This is what the beekeeper—he could have been making it all up. They only have—they only have—but I'm I'm sold. They only have three days worth of memory, so they've sent out. She sent out the scout bees. They think they're the stuff. They've been chosen out of the thousand to go start the new location. So three days go by. They keep waiting on everybody else to show up. They don't show up, and then they can't remember where they where where the home was. I'm like, this is. Fascinating, and so because um, I'm like, why? Why do they do this? So he takes them alive, and it's just anyway, it's kind of crazy. He uses a shop back, uh, puts them into this crate, carries them off, probably sells them, makes a lot more money than he even made from us. Um, and I'm just like, why does? Why does that happen? So if we're going to hear from God, the Bible this morning that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, we need to ask the question: Why is there no condemnation? Right. The first question I have is: Is it that there's no condemnation because we actually haven't sinned? Like, God, has He actually just gone... You know what? I'm second thought. Uh, you've not made any mistakes. You're quite perfect, actually. Like, has has God done that? Is that the reason why there's no condemnation? Because God's kind of go well. Uh, no, no you've, you've you've not sinned. Well, no. The uh, Paul would write in Romans chapter three, verse twenty three, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this idea that we've all sinned, that, that God is righteous, that He is holy, that He's uh, glorious, that He has a standard, and uh, and that we don't meet it. And so Paul says all of us have sinned. So it can't be that we haven't sinned. That's not the reason that condemnation would not come to us. So maybe this next question would be, well, is it possible that God has kind of dismissed our sin, that he's turned his eyes away from our sin, or that God's even pretending like we're not sinners, even though he knows that we are? Is is that possible? Right? Right? Well, it can't be because for God to be holy, that, that whole presence of sin thing doesn't add up. It doesn't come together. So what, what is true? How can we, if we have sinned, and by the way, the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I think most of us would admit it and say, uh, yeah, I've, I've actually screwed up royally. Uh, some of us that are honest, the rest of you will call you out, you know, just for lying. That's a sin right there. Um, well, well, how's it happen? Well, v- verse 3 tells us how it's happened. Verse 3 says, where, where did God condemn sin? Sin has been condemned. Verse 3 says that God did this by, by, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Whose flesh? He condemned sin in Jesus' flesh. Right? And so here's what you and I need to get at this morning. All sin, all sin is going to be condemned. It's either going to be condemned in Jesus' death, as we appropriate that by his grace through our faith, It's either going to be condemned in him, or it's going to be condemned in us. And if you're like me at that moment, you're like, oh crap, I hope I get on the other side. All sin is going to be condemned. As we place faith in Jesus, sin can be condemned in him on our behalf. This is what he came. That is his mission. It's why Jesus became a man. It's why he lived the perfect life. It's why he was born to a virgin. It's why he lived the life and died the death he did. It's why he rose from the dead so that he might do something about our separation from God, that he might do something about our sin. And the Bible tells us what he has done. God has condemned sinful flesh in Jesus' body. He's condemned. He came for our sin. And so when you... What I can't do with verse one, I can't stand here this morning because I will be held accountable for what I tell you guys, which is a little bit scary. Um, I'm going to be held accountable. So, what I can't do this morning is say, hey, to all of you in the room, there is no condemnation for any of your sin, period. Because the Bible doesn't say that. What does the Bible say? There is therefore now no condemnation for who? For those who are in Christ. For those who are in Christ. So saying it's not that it's true of every human being that they won't be condemned for their sin. It's true of those who are in Christ. Well, what does it mean to be in Christ? It means that we've appropriated Christ's death for our sin. But if I gave you the option this morning, hey, would you like someone else to pay? If you're going to be condemned for your sin, would you like somebody else to take that punishment for you? Right? Like if you're in second grade, you both get in trouble, but your friend says, hey, don't worry. If you'll just buy me a popsicle at recess, I'll take the punishment. That's a good deal, Right? Well, of course you want somebody else if they are willing to take the punishment for you. You want them to take the punishment for you. But what you can't assume and what I don't want you to hear and assume leaving this morning is, oh, I love that cross idea that Jesus did. I will let him take the punishment for me, but I won't allow it to have any implications on the rest of my life. I just want to say to you this morning, you can't have that. Because the one who went to the cross proved his lordship in that. And if we're not going to submit our lives to him, and not perfectly, but in faith, go, hey, I believe that you are God. I believe that you do this better than I do. I believe that you can do for me what I can't do for myself. If we're not going to place our faith in him, we're also not going to be able to enjoy the benefits of what he's done on our behalf. And so I just want to say from the beginning, all sin's going to be condemned, all of it. It's either going to be condemned as we appropriate our faith in Jesus and him assuming and taking on our condemnation for us, or we're going to have to stand under that, which is a which is a very very interesting deal. Um, and then in verse three it says, "It says for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do." I, I really want you to get after this. I don't know if you're like me, and uh, out of all of us in the room, some of us um, didn't grow up in church. Uh, some of us grew up in churches that were a little bit flaky. Uh, you can raise your hand. Anybody flaky? Like we can kind of have a flakers anonymous group. Uh, churches like you're just like. Like now that you've been enlightened maybe a little bit, you're like, what in the world? And others of you maybe grew up in strong churches. Be be grateful for that if you did. But I know for me, not just the church I grew up in, but probably my own assumptions, I, I really took this whole Christianity and my faith as this thing like I've got to be good at it to make it happen. Like, I've really got to produce something on my own. I've got to be kind of good enough. I need to make sure that I'm making the right choices, that I'm holding the door open for the ladies. I want God to smile for that. Um, you know, that I'm really making sure that I don't say certain words. And so I really kind of have this, uh, like, hey, let me see if I can work good, hard enough and be good enough to kind of be welcomed in and see if God will be even impressed maybe. Like, maybe he'll even give me, like, you know, like the first row or something uh, in heaven one day. Like, I, maybe I could do something that can impress him. But the reality that Paul's getting at and that I want to share with you is that the beautiful thing is what you and I were powerless to do and what the law itself, even, that God gave us was powerless to do, God was able to do. Any of you ever been swimming in the Pacific Ocean? Not, not the Hawaii or the Southern California side, but the San Francisco side. Any of you? Any of you without, like, a wetsuit? Awesome. We want to ask you like what you were drinking that day, or how things went down, or whatever. I'm out at Chrissy Field shooting a video with some of the guys that were in here this morning, and it was fun. My kindergarten son, he had a field trip there, so we ran into each other. It was cool. But um, it was a windy day down there, Friday morning, and this older man, probably 60s or 70s, uh, he just gets down in his swimming trunks and just jumps in and pretends as if it's 95 degrees. I was like, dude, you're crazy. You're crazy. And so what did, it, what did that feel like? I'm never going to experience it, so... Really cold, really cold. And the first service, someone that had done that, she was like, yeah, it was numb. I was like, oh, that's great. So everything just starts to fall off your body, and then it's like, oh, this is, this is excellent. So I can't imagine doing that. Let's pretend, though, that you did something that put you into the water, and you're actually not that great of a swimmer, and you need to be rescued. Do you want someone to rescue, rescue you who can swim? Right? I mean, who cares if they want to rescue us? If they can't swim, they're not getting to us A, and they're not getting us back B. Not only do we need someone who can swim, we also probably need someone who can carry us, right? Right? I mean, guys, you know, if, if she's 80 pounds, it's awesome that she's a great swimmer, but she's still probably not getting us back to the shore. True? If we can't help out at all. So you not only need someone who can swim and who can carry you, who can actually rescue you, you also need someone who wants to rescue you, right? I mean, if they're cruel, who cares what they can do if they don't want to do it? Well, what Paul is telling us in this right off the bat in Romans 8, he is saying that, hey, the one who can rescue you has actually come to rescue you. The one who could put a plan in place has actually put the plan in place. The one who had the power to overcome your sin, he has overcome your sin. If you and I place our faith in God, he has been able to do that. One of the things we say in here at Epic all the time is that let's make sure we don't just err on the side of, oh, we believe God's powerful or, oh, we believe God has great desires for us. Because if you don't bring those two together, you're not going to get the full picture of God, right? Let's pretend like God only has the capability. So God's got the capability to rescue us, but he goes, well, just, just yeah, I know I'm the only one who can do this, but you, you figure it out. Or let's just pretend that God has the desire but not the capability. So he's like, I really want to help you. I just can't. To get a true picture of God, you have to understand that those two things in Jesus and in God, they come together. And so that the God who has all capability, all sufficiency, all power also has the want to to do it. Otherwise, we are messed up. Otherwise, you and I are hopeless. And so the God who can is the God who comes and does it. It's pretty incredible just to know that, man, if you're going to be rescued, you need someone who can do it and you need someone who wants to do it. And it says in that verse 1, the idea is there's no condemnation for those of us who've placed our faith in Jesus. What the idea is there, like the, the, the emphasis in the original language in the Greek is on this whole no. It's like it's not, there's not one bit, not one ounce, not one sprinkle of condemnation for those who are in Christ. So we all know our own story, right? I mean, we all know where we've messed up. We all know if... Everyone in this crowd this morning were to watch uh, like a video of your 10 worst highlights of your life, like the worst decisions you ever made. Like that would be awesome, right? We'll just pick some of you randomly. We'll get the popcorn and Coke. We'll just let the real play. We, we, you know the parts when it got to certain parts. You know the ones you would want to run out of the room on, right? E- even if no one else knows it right now, they would that day. I've got an idea for an event. Um, every one of us have things in our past, not only that we're not proud of, we have things that no one else knows about. And yet it still grips our heart with guilt and shame, still marks us. Well, what Paul is saying is that in Christ, even though you've done that, you can be forgiven and you don't have to experience the condemnation that that deserves. And some of us need to let go of that stuff right now. Others of us, we've done huge things like that, and everyone does know about it. In fact, maybe that's why you're on the West Coast. You got as far away as you possibly could, uh, right? Or you lived in one of those towns where everybody got to know about it, or you worked in a company, everybody got to know. And so you've moved out here just for the fresh start. Some of you have ran away from something, and I pray that this will be a fresh start for you. Others of you are going this morning, Ben, I'm kind of close to perfect. (laughs) Like, I know there's some crazy people in here that have the huge sins. I'm not on that list. Well, the great danger for you is that you will put your faith in your own morality and good deeds and good works and miss it altogether and still be condemned even for that. And so what God is saying to us is that there's not one bit of condemnation. There is nothing that you have to receive. Last night I got a call from one of our guys in our church, let me know a few things. But one of the things he let me know is that someone really close to him is basically blaming him because his actions before he became a Christian have influenced this person. And that person, even though he's on the right path now, the person he influenced is still on the wrong path. And so this other individual was blaming him. And so he's just saying, hey, this is just killing me. It's weighing me down. And I said, hey, A, I hate that for you. B, I want you to know, and of course I've been thinking through and wrestling through this teaching this week. I just said, hey, I want you to know that in Christ, even though you blew it back then and I've blown it before, in Christ you're not going to be condemned for any of that pretty incredible. And some of you, even this morning, knowing your thing or your things, knowing the current habit or the current addiction, you're going, man, I I, I can't even believe that's true. That's the beauty of of the gospel of Jesus, right? That it's more, uh, it, it is true, though we wouldn't think it even could be true for us, that we could appropriate that for us, that we don't have to be condemned, even though you and I have blown it. And regardless of where people know your stuff or not, you, it's marked you. You've allowed it to mark you. And I just want to say to you this morning, your sin does not have to separate you from God. Because Jesus has done something about it. Here's another thing we say, kind of a mantra at Epic. You'll hear it a lot if you're hanging out with us for more than just a Sunday. But your past doesn't have to dictate your future. Your past doesn't have to dictate your future. Some of you, your approach to your job has a lot to do with m- mess-ups in the past maybe in a corporate way or relational way. And so you're like, I'm just going to work better. I'm going to make it go away. Listen, Jesus will not condemn you when you place your faith in him. Because what we do when we continue to carry around the things that Jesus died for is what we're saying is that, hey, let a part of the cross experience be in vain because Jesus, I I will pay for some of that. I won't make you pay for it all. And he's going, no, you you don't want to pay for it, but I have paid for it already. And we can rest in that and we can trust, we can trust that. Because here's what's reality for us also. If you and I don't know where we stand apart from Jesus, we will never rejoice in where we stand in Jesus. This is my favorite part of the sermon, so get ready. If you had not listened to anything else. This is like, this is like ah, I, I've kind of lived this out in my mind. And, and, and here's some things that I've thought about. First is this. Have you ever rejoiced over food? Come on. I mean, you live in San Francisco. If you never rejoiced over food, I've got a story for you. Um, I, I do it like three times a day. I mean, except for the days where I felt guilty about what I ate yesterday and I've got to do the Greek yogurt thing. I don't, I don't rejoice over that so much. But um, just love food. I just love rejoicing over, over food. I I do so. But you know what? I've never rejoiced over food in the way that someone who's dealt in their past with extreme hunger rejoices over food. Do you understand that? Like, there are people, and we don't see it much, most of us. I venture to say if not 100% of us in the room, at least 99 something percent of us in the room have never experienced extreme hunger. And so if you've never experienced extreme hunger, just like I haven't, there's no way that I can rejoice over getting food the same way that someone who hasn't had it will rejoice over getting food. I enjoy the fact that I live in a country that's a, a country that's free. I enjoy my freedom but I do not rejoice over my freedom in the same way that some of my friends who've moved from another country, or especially even more so people that in their past have been enslaved, there's no way possible for me to rejoice over my freedom or you to rejoice over your freedom unless you've been in those shoes. Shauna and I, and you're going to laugh or cry, whatever, it's just true. Anytime we've wanted to get pregnant in our lives or didn't want to get pregnant, we got pregnant, all right? It's just absolutely true. So we had to, you know, there had to be some surgeries involved. We had, like, we had to shut this factory down somehow. And... Um, True. Uh, However, we rejoiced over every one of those situations. I mean, once we cried, like, I can't believe it, like, but we, anyway, um, seriously, so we, we would rejoice over every time that she would get pregnant, but you know what, we've never been able to rejoice in the same way a couple will that hasn't been able to get pregnant for a decade, and all of a sudden they get pregnant. That's worthy of a party. Ours is a great occasion, but that's worthy of a party. But we cannot rejoice. Does that make sense? You and I will never rejoice over the things unless we realize that we don't have them or unless we've experienced situations where we don't get it. I mean, think about the person. Think about your favorite restaurant in San Francisco. And, like, you know, you get on the menu. Like, you're like, what's the secret today? Like, what, what's out there today? Or what's the special today? And, and you get there. But say the person across from the table, like, they've, they've, they, they've actually struggled with hunger they're going to receive and rejoice in that meal in a way that you won't be able to do. Doesn't make you bad or me bad that we get three meals or more per day, right? We're grateful for that. It just means that we don't know how to rejoice in the food because we've never gone without it. Think about someone that's just... Uh, think about if they, someone that wakes up in America this morning, or even in San Francisco, but they've come from a country where they were enslaved or they didn't have the, the rights and the freedom that you and I get to enjoy. And we, we don't mean to take it for granted. We just do because it's been a part of some of our lives always. They're going to wake up and be more grateful than we would ever be able to be because of their freedom. It doesn't mean we have the wrong approach. It just means until we were without it, we don't know how to appreciate it. If you and I don't understand where we are without Jesus, then we'll have to question, why do they call the gospel of Jesus good news? If we don't get our state of life, our state of eternity, our state of uh, what we are when we're separated from God, then it won't be great news to us when we understand that Jesus has come. He's paid an endearing, incredible price to reconcile us to God. If we don't get our standing without him, then we'll never fully rejoice over our standing with him. And just like I've done with food and my freedom and even the ability to have children in our family, I've got to be honest. I've done it with my faith. It's not that I'm ungrateful, it's just that I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. But man, when I see where I stand without him, when I understand that my sin is, is, is punishable, that it does condemn me, unless someone steps in and does something about it, and then when I see him step in and absorb what's mine, it should move me. It, it should cause me to rejoice is he calls me to go, my goodness, this is a better story than I could make up. But sometimes, just to be honest with me, you guys can keep lying, but just to be honest for me, I just take it for granted. Like, of course he would. Why would he not? I'm a pretty good guy. I try to do the right things. No, my right things don't give me that standing with him. His righteousness, appropriated by his death, once I activate it by my faith through his grace. That's how it happens. That's that's how you and That's how you and I you and I get that. And, and, and again, be clear in verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I can't lie to you and say, Hey, this is true for every one of us in the room. Because I know, grateful for your honesty as we engage throughout the weeks here at Epic. You're like, Ben, I'm just not there yet. Like I don't think I need this. I don't think I believe it. So I can't sit can't up and say, Hey, this is true for all of us. It's true for those of us who find ourselves, whether a long time already or, or for the first time this morning, who find ourselves in Christ Jesus. And then you get to verse 2. Paul says, for the law of the spirit of life, that's the spirit of God in us, it set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It set us free. Now, what I want to talk to you, if you look at verses 1 and 2, I'm going to contrast a couple of things for you that could be true from these two verses. The, The first one really talks about our positional standing. All right? So it talks about our position. It says, In Christ there's no condemnation, meaning because you place your faith in Jesus, it's, there, it's a once time settled settled-for-all, you're not going to be condemned for your sin. And we need to rejoice over that daily, over our position. It's what's established. It's what's true today, is that we will not, the, our, the, the effects of our sin have been defeated by Jesus. We place faith in Jesus. Our sin's condemned in Him. And we positionally, the, the, the theological term here is justification. It literally means that we've been justified, that we've been we've been acquitted. Acquitted really from our trial before God because Jesus has absorbed it for us, and so we've, we've been acquitted. Um, however, verse two has a lot to do with our ongoing reality. The theological term there is sanctification. Justification is a one-time deal when we place faith in Jesus because of what He's done. We have a right standing before God. We are clean. Our, our, we, we are not condemned. We have. Reconciliation, restoration with God. Sanctification means that ongoing process by which you and I are becoming more like Jesus. And just so we are all clear, that's the intention of God for all believers in Christ, that when we place faith in Jesus, we begin to grow. We begin this journey of faith. It's not easy. It doesn't happen overnight, at least for me. Maybe you guys are much better, probably are than me. But it's this process by where God's making us look like and be more like Jesus. So it's ongoing. So one is positional, one is ongoing, one is established, one is happening now, right? But here's what you've got to know. If you and I don't believe verse 1, if we don't believe that we have a positional standing of no condemnation before Jesus, then we'll never believe that verse uh, verse 2 can be true in an ongoing way. Right? If you don't understand that our sin's been defeated once and for all, and it's changed our position, then that thing that's besetting you right now, that thing that hangs on to you, that habit you think you can't overcome, you've been living with it, some of you, for 15, 20 years, and you don't know how to get rid of it because you feel like it is the most powerful thing. If you don't believe that Christ has overcome your sin positionally, you'll never believe that He can overcome the sin today you experience. Does that make sense? So there's this positional reality for us, and then there's this ongoing reality. And whatever the case happens to be, like some of us, if we're just honest, we have something that seems like it is the most powerful thing in our entire mind, body, and in our existence. And we absolutely don't know how to overcome it. Well, understand this. If God's power can't change our position, it also can change, over time, our reality. That we can become. His intention is, I think it's Philippians one six that says that he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion. Like he's, he's not, and this is good news too, he's not done with us. Isn't that a good news? Like for those of you who haven't arrived yet, he's not done with us. He's in process as we submit to him being the Lord and master of our life. But some of us have these things that we feel like we can't overcome. We can't get away from, we can't get around, we can't get through it. And one thing you and I need to know is that God's power is greater than sin's power. Otherwise, he hasn't defeated it positionally, and we have no hope in an ongoing reality kind of way. Does that make sense? If his power isn't greater, although at times, I don't know about you, but I find myself in the middle of things, I'm just like, man, will I ever come to a day when this thing goes away? And then you begin to see maybe small victories or... Big victories, and you're like, okay, God, I need your power. If God's spirit is in us, which we'll talk about next week, then it can overcome, it can overpower, and overwhelm any sin, even if it's been with you more than you care to to admit. So, I want want us to rest in that and realize that God has freed us. God has freed us from that. Verse four talks about the reason God did all this is so that the reason He sent Jesus, the reason Jesus had sin condemned in His body on the cross, was in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. One of the most profound things that I know we'll ever be able to tell you guys about in any setting, one-on-one or up here, is that God has an incredibly high requirement for righteousness. Incredibly high requirement for righteousness. Meaning that those of us who aren't righteous, again, that's all of us, we, we, we don't enter His presence. We don't get in relationship with Him. We don't get restored to Him. We don't get reconciled to Him if we're not righteous. And by the way, again, we're not. However, the God who demands righteousness from us is the God who provides righteousness for us. I don't know about you guys, but when I was growing up, if I was going to get my parents a Father's Day or Mother's Day gift, they needed a, to, to give me a couple of dollars, right? Anybody else? Like, I don't know how all that worked. Now I'm like just telling my kids, like, no, I'm not giving you money to get me something, all right? I don't, I don't care. I don't need it that bad, and I probably won't like it. Um, and then I'll feel guilty if I don't use it, right? So free when they're not in here. Um, my kids are awesome, and they, do, they actually do give good gifts. Um, but it was one of those things. If I was going to get my dad a Father's Day present, he needed to give me the bucks, right? Here's what's crazy. God wants righteousness, and nothing less gets into his presence and into a relationship. And yet, he comes up with the idea that's so much better than any idea you and I could come up with. What you and I, who are hard workers, we could come up with a great list of twenty things. Hey, God, just let us do these twenty things, or just let us go sit in this, uh, you know, strange place that's like the desert for twenty years. Whatever, God, we'll figure out some way to meet your requirements. God, we'll do that. And God goes, No, you can't meet them. And while that would be terrible news if that's where the story ends, the story doesn't have to end there because I've got a plan. I'm going to send Christ. My son, my one and only son, I'm going to send him in human likeness. He's going to live a perfect life, and I'm going to allow him. I'm going to allow him to die a death that you deserve. I'm going, to, I'm going to allow that. And the way you appropriate this for your life is by placing faith in and coming under the covering of his righteousness. And again, you and I can't go, hey, I want the benefits of that, but I want to keep living my life as though the no imp- life of God has no implications for my life. You cannot get one without the other. So, my question for us, as we really launch into this changed series is and your sin's going to be condemned minus is two is your sin going to be condemned in Jesus as you appropriate faith in what he 's done to become your righteousness? Or are you going to sit in condemnation for your sin everybody 's like well what 's the crux of Christianity? This is kind of it. Like either we'll sit under the weight and punishment of our sin or we'll allow Jesus to have done that for us. And as much as that humbles us, as much as that goes, I can't believe I've done that and that he would die for that, as much as that might even embarrass us to some degree that someone had to do that for us, it's our only hope, I think. And I just want to encourage you, come under his righteousness. Even if you're good, you're not that good. Even if you're bad, he's made, he's made it available to you to live under the sentence of God as though you haven't done it. Are there consequences for our actions? Yes. Is there condemnation when we're in Christ? No. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you are carrying around so much shame right now. And I just want you to, go and to know you don't have to carry that around. And the answer is not to pretend like you haven't sinned. And the answer is not to pretend like God looked away. He didn't. The only answer is to go, because of what Christ did in me, God sees me as though he sees Jesus without sin. And if you're like me, that's pretty remarkable that God could do such a thing. And that it would be his plan, that I didn't sit around going, God, would you, would you do this? Would you rescue me in this way? His plan, his idea. He has the power and he has the want to. So response this morning, one way you might respond, respond is just by going, you know, Ben, I don't know that God's that righteous. And, uh, or I don't know that I'm that sinful. Or, or maybe both. Well, my prayer for you has already been that God would just reveal himself to you, right? That happens at different times for us, that God would show himself by the word, by being a part of a community here at Epic, by being around friends that would not judge you, but that would love you and just go, hey, here's how this has played out in my life. I'd love to tell you my story. There's those people here in this room. And uh, here's what I believe. I believe when we see the true holiness and righteousness of God, I think our sin part will take care of itself. It'd be hard to see how holy God is and still think we're okay, I think. Secondly, some of you just need to go, hey, I'm carrying stuff around, allowing it to mark me. Um, and, and, and Jesus is going, hey, you don't have to be condemned for that. And some of you are going, but, but what do you mean? My, my mom calls and she still brings it up. My ex-wife calls and she still brings it up. My kids constantly tell me this. And I can't do anything about that. And hopefully God will work on their heart. But what I can tell you is, hey, they're not the final word. They're not the authority. If God has come to take away your sin, no one can untake away your sin. That's good news. And, and, and the last thing I would say response was: some of you need to live in the reality that your past doesn't have to dictate your future. Some of you, there's things that you won't attempt to do in your future because your past marks you so strongly. And I don't know what God has in your future. I just want you to know your past doesn't have to hold you from it. Not because I'm trying to help you think positively, but because of what Christ has freed you from if you're in Christ. And this morning, if you're not in Christ, I would encourage you just to go, hey, Jesus, I want by faith to trust you, what you've done on my behalf. I want that to be reality this morning. I want my positional standing with you to change. And then I want to see what you're going to do to break the cycle of sin in my life moving forward. And he wants to meet that request. I can't tell you everything. Like, I can't say, hey, I know it's God's will that he's going to give you this job or that job. But I can tell you this morning, I believe and know that it's God's will that he wants to break the cycle of sin in your life. And he wants to break the effect of it, both in this life and for eternity. I pray you would come under that. I pray you would submit to that. So I just want to pray for you as we conclude the first session in the series. Get into Romans 8. Start reading it. Uh, I think if you want to look ahead for next week, we'll be in verses 5 through 11, really looking at the battle between the flesh and the spirit, uh, which which will be uh, interesting. And I am praying that God will continue to do a movement here through our church.